Have you been thinking about applying to graduate school? Did you already get accepted and you're wondering what to expect? Or are you already a grad student and you want to know how your experience measures up to others? This episode is for all of the above. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Think Twice. Today we have a special episode about grad school. Graduate school can seem like the biggest mountain you have to climb and also one of the most exciting chapters of your life. You'll meet lifelong friends, get some good laughs in, maybe shed a few tears, and definitely work hard and have fun along the way. We know the whole experience can seem daunting and mysterious, so by popular demand, we've decided to dedicate an episode to the topic. Welcome to Grad School 101. We understand grad school can look so different depending on the country you're from, subject of study, and type of school, but we'll be speaking mainly from experience in research-based neuroscience grad programs and Canada. We have experience in this field, we've done our research, talked to our peers, and we're here to share our golden nuggets for you on how to thrive in grad school. Consider this like your grad school survival guide. To cover all your questions and the information that we think is most useful, we've broken this episode into three sections. First, we'll talk about getting into grad school, then how to prepare once you've been accepted, and finally, what to expect in grad school. We'll also share our best tips, tricks, and some personal experiences on these topics for you. And uh, before we get started, I want to get everyone to introduce themselves because we have a couple people in the studio today. So for those who don't know me yet, I'm Ev, your podcast host. I'm a PhD student in the Center for Neuroscience Studies, and I work on gene therapy for central nervous system disorders. I would like to first introduce Cassandra, the person behind all of our fantastic social media posts. Can you introduce yourself a little bit? Hey, Ev. Thanks for having me. I'm super happy to be here. I am also a PhD student at Queen's in the Center for Neuroscience Studies. My research mainly focuses on gut health and how it can actually impact your mood. So I look specifically at mood disorders like depression and then looking at new gut related treatment options like microbe therapy to actually help mediate your mood. But um, yeah, I'm stoked. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, we also have a regular here, uh, Elena. Hi, guys. I'm Elena. You've heard my introduction many times, but I'll give it for you once more. Um, I'm also a PhD student in neuroscience at Queen's, and my research focuses on exploring eating behavior and circadian rhythm dysfunction and mood disorders, as well as novel tools for assessment and treatment. So, yeah, happy to be back. Thanks for being back. We also have Honey here. Hi, I'm Honey, and I'm a master's student in the Center for Neuroscience as well. And my focus is neuropsychiatry, and we are looking at music therapy in stroke rehabilitation. And I'm also a psychotherapist working with homeless women here in Kingston, Ontario. Very nice. Very nice. You're super busy. Yeah. Um, so let's dive right into this episode. Um, let's get started with getting into grad school. Yeah, I feel like it's such an important question that you have to ask yourself, like, 
is grad school even right for you? And like thinking about that is so overwhelming. I know mm-hmm. when I was in my undergrad, I was like, what do I want to do when I'm done? Do I want to go to grad school? Do I want to maybe do med school? Do I want to go into mm-hmm. industry? Am I done with school altogether? Like, how do you even decide if grad school is right for you? Um, Especially, I feel like, because you don't really get like a grad school experiences before grad school. So yeah. You never really yeah. know, like, what you're getting into with that and it's such a huge topic so I guess that's like another goal of this episode is to help people who like might think that they want to do grad school but don't really know Mm -hmm. for sure yeah and definitely if you're thinking about grad school and even research in general because a lot of grad school does have to do with some research Mm -hmm. if you're not in a course-based master's or PhD program is just try volunteering in a research lab that you're interested in before grad school and your undergrad like go approach some profs and just say, hey, I'm super interested. Like, do you have any room for volunteers at all right now? And just Mm -hmm. get your feet wet a little bit. Yeah, I definitely, that is one thing that I personally didn't do. And I kind of regret not doing that. Um, It wasn't very common in the university that I did my, my bachelor's degree and my master's in. And when I arrived at Queens to do my PhD, I noticed that a lot of undergraduate students were actually um, doing some volunteer tasks mm-hmm. and labs. And I thought it was such a fantastic exposure to research in general yeah. and just like the environment of being in the lab, which you mm-hmm. really don't get exposed to as an yeah. undergraduate. Mm-hmm. So how did you, if you didn't volunteer in the lab or anything, how did you like find your lab and how did you get in there? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so for my master's degree, I, I'm i a little bit of a freak. So <laughs> I emailed so many people mm-hmm. in the field that I was interested in. Yeah. So I've mm-hmm. always been interested in neurodevelopmental disorders, mm-hmm. particularly intellectual disability, autism, epilepsy, And at the time where I decided to go into grad school, I was in Montreal. So I reached out to a bunch of profs in Montreal that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. And I must have sat through probably 15 to 20 interviews before deciding, like, this is the person that I want to go with. Like, it was... I mean, that's good that you were able to, like, see so many different labs and interview in so many different places to kind of narrow down, mm-hmm. like, which one you wanted to um, to get into. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. I feel like that's sort of an unconventional way to get in. Oh, absolutely. I, feel like a lot <laughs> I am of, like, so aware of that now. I mean, at Queens, I feel like everyone is, like, an un- like a volunteer, like, mm-hmm. researcher. Yeah, but that's super important, though, because, like, even after you've made that hurdle of saying, you know what, like, I actually do wa- know what my interests are, even finding that out in the first place is like tough but after you figure that out and you're trying to apply to grad school like go sit down with all those profs that you're interested Mm -hmm. in like when you are looking at schools don't just jump to programs right away you want to find the research you're interested in and then Mm -hmm. go meet those labs that you're interested in Mm -hmm. talk to the students talk to the profs what is your study life balance if they say (laughs) what balance that's a red flag like get out of there but I just want to say too for me it was different see when I was in university as soon as I was nearing the end all of my friends are going to med school they're all doing their MCATs they're all going on further so I knew I just had to see what was the next option 
at the time I was like, you know, research is not the right option for me. So I went into clinical. So my master's, which is weird because technically I'm in my master's now. So I didn't do any research. I just applied for the program. I got in and I did it. I actually did it at a fast pace. It was a three years and I did it in 11 months. And then I just went out into the field and I started working. And for me, I'm a mature student. Yeah, and I just, I knew that I wanted to get in and I had spoke with a few friends that actually sat on these boards that would accept people into um, different studies or graduate programs. And they all told me the same thing. I needed to reach out to someone that I was interested in or reach out to someone that was doing work that I was interested in and uh, see if they would commit to having me on as as their graduate student. And they all suggested to me, you know, you need to find a supervisor first they're more likely to not turn you away if um, there's someone that wants you and wants to work with you. And it was just a matter of them, you know, saying, okay, fill out the information. And I kind of did the same thing to you, Ev. I just researched a bunch of people that were doing things in areas that were interesting to me. Yeah, so I just emailed a few people that I had areas of interest. And the first person that I interviewed, I just really enjoyed the things that she was working on. And she wanted to work with me as well, so it just happened to work out. Yeah. And that's like finding that fit is so critical because Mm -hmm. a lot of the times like you could hate or love research depending on your environment. Like when I was in an undergrad, what research looked like for me then with preclinical work versus what research looks like for me now in clinical is entirely different. You know, some people it's a nine to five Monday to Friday. Mm -hmm. Other people it runs their life morning, noon and night. And so it's like you have to find a fit that you like, but then also when you were saying honey that you just happen to fit with the person you talk to like a lot of people fit and then they get rejected and it's like well why did I get rejected and sometimes it just comes down to red tape things like funding you know like Mm -hmm. when I applied I had two people tell me that they were like yeah we'd love to have you I just don't have funding for another student right now so I can't take you so it's nothing with your grades nothing with how you are anything it's just Mm -hmm. I literally cannot afford to take you on right now yeah and like rejection can be such a hard thing especially when you're like an undergrad thinking about your future career and everything so keeping in mind that a no is not always because you're like exactly yeah like not qualified it can Mm -hmm. be like purely like um other like just logistical factors so and I think there's there's also like to point out like everything we've talked about so far there's so many different kinds of grad school that's another Mm -hmm. huge thing like honey you can probably speak on later like some of the differences you've noticed between clinical and like research-based and then also like even within research-based there's like um, clinical research and like there's versus like the wet lab side of things mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Um, and different personalities and different um, types of people will fit into each of those so I think also like considering that is important which I don't even know if we clarified like yeah. preclinical versus clinical like what that even yeah. means mm-hmm. you know generally preclinical preclinical (laughs) is like working with animal models or rodents or monkeys or whatever you know and then dogs those dogs yeah Yeah, Yeah. dogs and typically the preclinical is like also people call it like wet labs Mm -hmm. so like dealing with cells like you know yes. hard lab skills pipetting <laughs> oh gosh. All that good stuff. Yeah. so many finger cramps from those yeah. <laughs> i said permit review yesterday is the most stressful thing i've ever done we barely use the lab but they're asking me these questions and i was just like yeah sure i was so nervous and she's just sitting there looking at me 
And I'm like, I'm I'm hoping that I'm answering all these questions correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. See, but I mean, red tapes and everything, though, preclinical or clinical, like there's always those little admin things to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, yeah, I guess when you're deciding between the two or the lab you want to go with, like if you are rejected, you can definitely ask for feedback. Like Mm -hmm. profs love discussing with students and if they say hey no no sorry we can't take you whatever it is like feel free to ask them feel free to converse because you know if they can't take you because of funding or whatever the reason is let's say you reapply in six months and they're in a different position Mm -hmm. they can definitely take that on that for sure yeah I I do think that it's also hard to ignore the whole idea that a lot of applying into grad school is also, you know, having a PI look at your background. Yeah. You know, like I guess we should touch on a bit, like, what are some of the qualifications? Like, what should you have before you go into grad school? Yeah. I, I mean, like, just it, the basics. Like, yeah. do you have good grades mm-hmm. in general? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For some PIs, it's crucial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for others, like for others, yeah, they don't care. So they don't care as long as you're dedicated mm-hmm. and you have, you know, your objectives in mind and you know where you're going. They don't care if you have like decent grades if yeah. they're not great. From the PIs I've talked to and just like colleagues and stuff like that, one of the most important things that I feel like people look for in a potential student is like, do you have curiosity? Like, mm-hmm. are yep. you curious in the subject? Because ultimately, like, doesn't matter how good your grades are. If you don't care about the topic that you're going to be researching, then like you're not going to be a good grad student, I yeah. feel like. Definitely. Like when I reached out to people, all the PIs I were interested in, when I sent them the initial email, like I included a cover letter, I had my CV, I had a transcript, mm-hmm. I had any like awards or anything, but yeah. then I made sure in my actual email, I was like, I'm so interested in your research. Yeah. Like I, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I want to do. Really like give yourself some of your characteristics. You know, people don't necessarily want that like, I don't know, like textbook grad formal, student that's like, formal yeah, and no personality. Really like they're, you're going to be their student. Like they're going to want to like be friends with you, like get along with you. Like I feel like the personalities <laughs> also need to match up to. Go yeah, for some so. beers. Yeah, go <laughs> for some beers. Obviously, It depends. I had a lunch in this last year with somebody. And the thing that came out was that um, they believed that if you didn't have good grades, you know, you weren't going to be a good student. And we thought that was really interesting because as students, we all start to combat it. Well, you know, what if there are factors in our life that are preventing us from doing well right now? You know, but, you know, what if I'm not hindered in that area? But he was just very hard and set on that. You know, you need to have good grades. So it really depends on which area you're applying in. Yeah, and the yeah. there's it's going to be different, I guess, from lab to lab and prof to prof. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, there's typically a cutoff for, like, graduate programs. Like, you need to have a GPA above, mm-hmm. I don't know, 3.5 maybe, something along those lines. I personally know people that got into grad school having a lower GPA than yeah. the cutoff just based on the PI's recommendation. Yep. Yeah. And I found too so like sometimes the PI will accept you but then it's the school's like program mm-hmm. that has mm-hmm. like the requirement, you know, mm-hmm. and the PI is like, "Oh shoot, like I didn't know um that that was a requirement." So, looking at the program that the PI is associated with and also talking to like the PI is like I feel like going to cover your bases as to whether you think you can have a good chance of getting in. Mhm. Definitely. Yeah. I do think, too, that, you know, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. 
you have to demonstrate your interest. And I think that one of the things that's super important here is that it's really hard to fake. Mm -hmm. So don't apply in a lab or in a program that you're not genuinely interested and in. You don't oh, yeah. want to go into a program no, that you know. No. You're going to be spending so much time doing that. After three years and you're trying to write your thesis and you're you're literally reading like so many pages about this topic. Like yeah. It needs to be something you're interested in or you just won't get through it. Yeah. yeah. Be passionate about what you are applying into. If mm -hmm. you are not, this is going to be a really long process. It's going to be rough. Yeah, <laughs> and it's going to be rough. And here's the thing, like grad school is not the end all be all, mm -hmm. you know, like if you are you know, that niche majority or minority of people that are like, I'm so pas passionate about research. This is exactly what I want to do. Then, yeah, go for it. A hundred percent. But if you're like, no research, I don't want to. I just feel like maybe I should because everyone else is like, mm. don't put yourself in that box. No. Go out, see the world, mm -hmm. work in industry, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, think about what you truly want. Try not to be influenced by, like, external factors, like what your peers are doing, what is, like, more socially acceptable than other things. Mm. Like, just go with, like, your gut, ultimately. Yeah, there's... No, I was just going to say there's nothing wrong with Big Pharma. <laughs> <laughs> it just leads back to what we were saying before, where if you can volunteer, then you can see what you like. Because... You know, that's the best way to determine what you're interested in. It's better than putting yourself in that position, you know, where you've invested all this time and this money. And, you know, now if you want to quit, are you going to feel like a failure? You know, are you going to stay at it? Are you going to hate it? What position are you going to put yourself in? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Yeah. And like, go, go ahead and like, look up, do some sleuthing online. Go look at your like potential supervisors, like past research, like, yeah, see, like, like read the background of some of their papers and see, like, does that interest you? Like, do you want to keep reading more? Um, and do you have any ideas for like, things that you might want to like propose as like a project mm -hmm. and um, and if you are like if you decide you know what I'm gonna do it then it's like okay how do I even prepare to enter that field like Ev you and I were talking about that before like how how do you even start that with preparation yeah um there's a lot there, there's really a lot of preparation that goes into getting into grad school you know um I think that one of the things that is crucial is the idea of familiarizing yourself with the field that you're mm -hmm. going into. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was kind of straightforward because my entire background is in neuroscience. I did my bachelor's in neuroscience. I did my master's in neuroscience. And then big whoop, I did my PhD or <laughs> I am doing my PhD in neuroscience. So for me, it was kind of an easy transition, but there are a lot of people that are coming from other fields that might not have that many connections to neuroscience. And, and you know what? It is really hard to learn something new mm -hmm. that is so far from what you've done before. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. I know people that come from completely different fields and that literally had to sit with textbooks for months just to get a grasp on some concepts that you know, they were kind of expected to know going into mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And I, I think that it's important to familiarize yourself a little bit with the field that you're going into and, you know, like what you're going to be doing. But 
you aren't expected to know everything Mm -hmm. that is just impossible yeah don't put too much pressure on yourself before you even start um because it's gonna like your expectations are probably gonna shift you know as you go through um Mm -hmm. so yeah try not to like um, be too hard on yourself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that literally is the definition of neuroscience, right? So we're using multiple backgrounds to come to conclusion to, to gain that general information. I mean, that literally is the definition of neuroscience. Um, having multiple backgrounds and understandings in multiple areas, even if you're not a neuroscientist. So if you don't know what's happening in the brain, you're still able to use all those skills. And it's easier for you to bring that information across. And that's a critical part about being in this and that's why it's good to have so many different conversations and podcasts Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and as a student like you're gonna bring your own strengths and weaknesses into like the lab so um and you're it's gonna mold you like grad school will help mold you and help uh, make your weaknesses more like stronger and everything so um i would just yeah before you start grad school just familiarize yourself um but don't like go too don't crazy. Don't stress over yeah, it. Yeah, crazy. I mean, yeah, enjoy yourself. Don't go crazy. Enjoy your life before it yeah. gets um, hectic. hectic. <laughs> like, grad school is supposed to be where you become the expert in that field, yes. right? Like totally. yes. when I started grad school, I was coming from a preclinical background. Mm-hmm. So human research, what is that? Who mm-hmm. is she? Like I don't, I didn't know humans. anything. <laughs> yeah, humans. <laughs> I don't know. Rats are reliable. <laughs> humans, little iffy, yeah. but. Rats are they are rats will show up for you ev- well i mean you, sh- you you go get them <laughs> but i mean humans are flaky sometimes they're not yeah. always accountable oh, yeah. for research totally. so yeah humans we lie, lie. Yeah. we lie everyone you know? lies oh, so yeah. like i was i walked in the first not even first day my interview for grad school at queens here actually where i started like I went in and they're like, so what clinical experience do you have? And I'm like, good question. I don't have any, but I'm like a strong learner. Like mm-hmm. I will pick up whatever mm-hmm. you give me. And I had a really supportive team. So it worked out. And then I became an expert in that field down the road. But, yeah. you know, I didn't start having all my ducks in a row. Yeah. yeah. No one I, does. Yeah. I, th- I, I do think that, that it's really important to realize that no one is an expert before you become an expert, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And I do think... So for me personally, um, when I switched over from my master's to my PhD, I was transitioning into, yes, another neuroscience program, but my project was completely different. So I went from doing, you know, mostly animal behavior and like biochemical stuff um, and like molecular biology, that kind of stuff into now being in a gene therapy lab. And I didn't particularly like genetics when I did my bachelor's degree and you know I had to brush up on some subjects um and I I didn't know what I was getting myself into to be completely honest I love what I'm doing now but coming into it I had no idea what I was actually getting myself into Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I found really useful was to ask my supervisor, you know, are there some articles that you think that I should be reading before I come into the lab? Oh, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there some material that you think that yeah. I should be brushing up on? Like that kind of stuff. And five, six articles 
it's enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'll usually have really good recommendations. Oh, like definitely. Ones that are at a good reading level and ones that are have like cover the basics nicely and mm-hmm. are specific to your lab uh, research. Yeah. So I think that's a good yeah. suggestion. And that's like a really great stepping stone, too. If you get an interview with them mm-hmm. and you go in in person, you bring that material with you. You go in there and you're like, that article you sent me, I read it. And didn't you think this was so cool? Like the fact <laughs> that... You know, this PI sees you're actually <laughs> reading what they send you, even if it's only a paragraph of it, okay? They're yeah. going to remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And if you tell them, you know, you could have done this better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Like, okay, I see you. <laughs> okay. I want you on my team. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, I had a friend who was in academia, and um, I had him read over some stuff with me, and we discussed it. And this way, when I had the conversation with my supervisor now, I actually was able to communicate, and it looked like I knew what I was talking about. Nice. Yeah, that's mm. a good tip. Yeah. yeah. Discuss it with your peers. Yeah, absolutely. Do a little mock interview. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. I really that love is. the idea of that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. when I went to my interview, like, I had a very good feeling that the per- any PI really, they're busy, okay? They have busy, oh, yeah. busy lives. They're not going to remember everything you tell them. So when I went to my interview, I, like, made this little booklet of, like, my CV, oh, my that. cover letter, all the so things organized. that was important to them. And I'm like, even if they don't look through this at all, they're going to remember the person that had mm. this purple booklet that they brought to them. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that really is. To be fair, um, my PhD interview was done over Zoom because I was in a oh, different yeah. province and it was during COVID, COVID and everything. Uh, so... It was over Zoom, and it's it's kind of hard to have interviews over Zoom. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. hard to get a feel for, like, the person that you're talking to. Um, I, I, I do think that it's definitely necessary. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of interviews with this person, but right off the bat, I kind of knew that I really liked, you know, the, the vibe, if you will. The vibe, yeah. The vibe, but mm-hmm. it definitely if you can do it in person yeah mm-hmm. definitely recommend yeah. it definitely and sometimes like if you're lucky you'll maybe already know the supervisor mm-hmm. that you're interviewing for um like for mine it's kind of funny i did like an undergrad thesis in one lab mm-hmm. and then that transitioned into an accelerated master's degree um both in the same lab it was in like neuroimaging using fmri and then for my PhD, I wanted to kind of switch into a more clinical um, subject. So mm-hmm. I wanted to be working more with patients and humans. Um, so I was like, you know, transitioning from one lab to another. Um, and it turns out that the PhD supervisor I wanted to interview for was actually someone I also interviewed for for my master's, but didn't end up going with. Ah. Um, so I was like, hey, do you remember me from <laughs> when I applied for my master's and then didn't decide to go with your lab? Do you remember the person who um, rejected you? <laughs> now I actually am interested. So, yeah, just like displaying that interest. And mm-hmm. if there's any like personal or social links, then like feel free to like know use, use those, those. Yeah. oh yeah definitely use those links yeah definitely definitely and in terms of like I guess we should talk a bit too about like physical you know how to prepare like in terms of like supplies or like things that you might need like in grad school yeah um what do you guys think is like something like a little packing list for people who are going to grad school well I, I guess it really depends on your situation mm-hmm. are you living at home with your parents are you moving in into res 
Are you, you know, moving in with friends? Yeah. Are you living on your own? You know, it, it makes a big difference um, as for like the stuff that you need to be bringing with you, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that a good laptop is your best friend. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to use it so much. Yeah. Invest in a good laptop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whenever you go to Staples or Best Buy or whatever, they tell you one terabyte is too much. One terabyte is not it too is much. It is never you enough. You will fill that up. You will fill it Guarantee so it. Yes. <laughs> Guarantee it. Mm-hmm. I actually have, like, two external hard drives that I use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One that I use to back up my computer and one that I store my information on. I just have it there because you just, you never know. I'm always just like, what if I drop this? Oh, oh I think oh, about yeah. that all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely back up everything you do on some kind of an external drive. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Or on like a OneDrive or something like that. Or both. Like, yeah. really, you can't be careful enough. Like. Yeah. And be really careful when you're using cloud services, too. Like, always make sure whatever you're using if you know it's there, it doesn't hurt to keep like a like an actual backup on it on another hard drive. Mm-hmm. Or like, for example, when I started in my undergrad, I think I was using iCloud Drive for some mm-hmm. of my documents. And I didn't realize the one day, I don't know, I got some notification. So I turned iCloud Drive off, but I didn't realize when you turn it off, it it doesn't just put the documents back onto your like in your documents folder. Like everything was gone. I had to like sort through no. my trash bin like into my archives i was like where did everything go right and purely on me i obviously didn't read about it or i didn't know what happens but Mm -hmm. it's just like more and more people nowadays are using cloud services to back up things so just you know read that stuff Mm -hmm. yeah definitely that reminds me during my beginning stages of my phd this was before i backed up anything on any kind of external (laughs) drive so i'm just going to preface with that um i dropped my laptop and all my readings i did like my full lit review i was in tears i was like oh no like what am i gonna do luckily like the heart the drive of the laptop was fine um, so I was able to get all my files, but that was a real eye opener that maybe I should back things up. So now I like do it in three different places <laughs> because I'm terrified of that happening again. I'm not gonna lie, something very similar happened to me too. Yeah. So when I was doing my my masters, um, I did an update mm. on my computer. You know, those darn harmless. updates. Those darn <laughs> harmless. I just did an update, and what happened? I couldn't turn my computer on ever again. What? It was like midterm season. I had exams coming up. I was writing a proposal. I had so much material on there. And all of a sudden, my computer just wouldn't turn on anymore. It was so frustrating. Yeah. And I was so afraid because... Like, my whole life at that point, basically, it was on there, you know? Yeah. Like, everything that I've been doing. And I also wasn't saving anything anywhere else because mm-hmm. I was young and foolish. Um, <laughs> I've learned from it. And um, now I have an external hard drive. But and I have a second one coming yeah. in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, we're not bad with technology. Like, we're neuroscientists, okay? It's just those little no. things... <laughs> It's those little things that get you, you know, yeah, like I they're unexpected. Yeah. You ask yeah. me something about the brain. I got you. But like yeah. saving those copies, oh, they get you sometimes. Yeah, yeah. they really do. Well, and that's why it's important to learn how to use some sort of online.
online storage. So if you know the basics, mm-hmm. it's useful like so much. If you're away from your computer and you need to pull something up, then you can still access it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess another point as to like preparing for grad school is like you're going to go through a lot of like life changes, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Um, so like, I mean, for me, I, s- I, b- I've been at Queens for my undergrad masters and PhD. Oh, so okay, like yeah. not too many life transitions. I kind of just, you know, stayed living in the same town, but for some people, like you might be moving across the country, you might be moving across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so much more than just like the academic side of things to prepare for. Um, do you guys have any tips for like those big life changes? <laughs> Well, so personally, I had to move um, for my undergrad, and then I had to move again for mm-hmm. my PhD. Um, moving is a big transition, mm-hmm. and both times I was moving far enough away that it was in a different province, and you know I had to make a bunch of arrangements and like get an apartment for myself, that kind of stuff. But it was never far enough away that I couldn't get help to do those things. So I'm really grateful for that. Nice. Um, but moving is definitely one of those things that is very stressful. Moving's an art form, honestly. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about your your current experience oh, if you want. Yeah. Like that would be lovely to share. Let's let's just say I'm really good at labeling boxes by now. <laughs> And boxes are your best friend. You can never have too many. Yeah. <laughs> and labels. True. Get a, maybe get a label maker. Oh, yeah. now you're talking. Yeah. Also, I don't know if you've used this this tip, but um, I personally went to like pharmacies and like grocery stores yep. to get free boxes. Oh my gosh, because yes. Because no way I was paying like a hundred plus dollars to get cardboard boxes that were going to wind up in the recycling bin anyways. So. Mm-hmm. Dairy Queen apparently actually has lots of boxes. Sophie wants some extra boxes. Oh, oh all nice. right. Shout out to Dairy Queen. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, if you are moving and if you are on the fence, like, you know, should I live with roommates? Am I better on my own? If you don't know yet, and let's say you've never lived with anyone or you've never experienced residence, honestly, I think resi- residence is a good experience just mm-hmm. to make friends. And if you're unsure and you do like people, then definitely you can give those things a try but if you're like no i need my own space and then you want to look at moving also talk to people in the area go on those university yeah. facebook so pages and yeah because housing is expensive oh yeah oh yeah um i mean so personally i have lived alone throughout my whole bachelor's master's and now my phd and let me tell you that is very expensive yeah mm-hmm. personally i need that for my peace of mind and mm-hmm. you know like i like to have my personal space i like to just be able to come home at night and you know just not have to see people <laughs> as awful yeah. as that sounds but but it does come at a cost and we know we're in this like economic crisis right yeah. now and everyone is poor i guess other than the rich um shout out to them <laughs> um and, you know, it's important to set yourself a budget and try to respect it as much as possible mm-hmm. because newsflash, that stipend that you're getting for your grad studies, <laughs> if you are getting a stipend, it's really not that high. Yeah. <laughs> and 
you know what? That's a rant for another time. Yeah, I that's could, a whole episode. <laughs> I could go on for hours about the stipend. Um, if you are lucky enough to get one, you know, definitely budget yourself. Yeah. But I just wanted to add on, you know, the living alone, like even putting the aside that, you know, it's nicer to live on your own. You don't have to worry about roommates. Mm -hmm. Some people also need to live by themselves for health conditions or if they're autoimmune or, you know, whatever it might be. So even like a bachelor studio apartment is Mm -hmm. so hard to Mm -hmm. find and it's expensive. And then if your stipend is really small or it's not enough to cover, like you really got to look at your options and what's available before mm-hmm. you make that big yeah. move yeah and if you're sorry <laughs> okay <laughs> if you're moving somewhere like with um where you don't know that many people like m- even just for your first year first semester like living in a house with other grad students it's a really good way to like meet other students yeah. and get like a bit of a social circle oh, yeah it's gonna help you to like prepare and you'll, you know that you'll have those people that will be there for you in the beginning stages mm-hmm. of this transition so um yeah I think that's also something to consider I was just gonna say too for me I went to college first and that was the experience because you know I was living out on my own I tried living with other students I picked the wrong house and I moved around a bunch and then when I went to university I went to another province you know and I was like well how do I want to make this experience good for me and the cost of living on campus is just way too high so I moved in with a family and I just rented a room. You know, that was the best thing. I lived right in the town versus like where the actual university was. So it was good for me to be able to interact with people and meet new people and have that experience. When I came back post-secondary, I just started living by myself and having roommates, but I was able to see kind of what fit best for me. And I would love to live alone, but that's just not financially feasible. And if it doesn't work out well living with other people, you know, it just felt more homey like being able to live with that family it, you know it, there was a mother she was very kind it was just a really great experience and I mean yeah once you do move like there's definitely things that can help you with some of those living expenses you know mm-hmm. food apps we've talked about a little yeah. bit or just like like some grocery stores even like I did my undergrad at the University of Guelph and I know there was a Zares there while I was there now don't quote me they might not have it anymore mm-hmm. but they had like a student special on Thursdays 10% mm-hmm. off if you're a student mm-hmm. but I mean there's other resources out there to help you. And with housing too, like a lot of towns will have like affordable housing for students or like student mm-hmm. housing. So definitely look into that because that could definitely make a difference in terms of rent. Actually here in Kingston, you actually have a lot of supports. So the Salvation Army actually frequently helps students. If you provide them with records or information showing them that you're either lacking the money or you're a student and you need help with first or last month's rent, um, or just moving in, they can help you with different things like helping you get a bed, furniture, different donations, etc. There's actually a discretionary benefit here in Kingston. So if you go into the City of Kingston website, they actually have a discretionary benefit that you can apply for that can help you pay for first and last month's rent. They can give you up to $1,500 towards that. So again, you can only apply for that once typically, and it's based on need, but it's definitely something to look into. Wow. wow that's amazing i have never heard about yeah. that that's crazy i wish i knew that <laughs> right <laughs> so they can actually give you money towards help getting things such as like packing boxes or <laughs> yeah you all and um yeah so there are lots of services like that in kingston that i think a lot of people aren't aware of or don't know exist so there are lots of things that you can do or reach out to to help get support definitely no not. definitely yeah. not i mean the tips i had was to use apps like i don't know flash food and like a 
clips uh too good to go that kind of stuff hey, they're all great apps if they it's working a couple dollars here and there yeah. but i mean yeah. that's that's a whole other level i did not know that and you know what i mean personally i really think as a student like please do not be afraid to use these resources to yeah. approach people like yeah. especially this the positions that grad students and students are in it's not a position where you're making bank you know what i mean mm-hmm. so the more we talk about it and the more we can kind of give people resources it's just going to break down the stigma because mm-hmm. money's not an easy conversation for yeah. people to have you know yeah. especially with your supervisor or whatever it is I know it's uncomfortable, but sometimes you got to advocate for yourself. Otherwise, we're you like we got to break down the stigma. We got to talk about Definitely. it. I mean, just to, just as an example, you know, um, I think that the CNS, the sorry, the Center for Neuroscience Studies, um, the stipend for 2023, I believe, is 23 or 24 thousand dollars for the year mm-hmm. for a PhD for a PhD. Yeah. So that having that stipend you also have to consider that you need to be paying tuition. Ugh, yeah. So tuition is another $7,000, give or take. It actually just went up. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So it, it just went up a bit. Right. So they actually say for tuition, it's like $11,800 if you look on the Queen's website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to consider that, you know, that stipend that you're getting, that 24000 you're not really getting the stipend. Nope. Like you're not getting twenty four thousand because you're giving back between seven and I guess thirteen thousand mm-hmm. to the university. Yeah. But Which again is like a huge conversation. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. We could talk about that all day. <laughs> yeah. But how unfair <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> you know what's interesting is recently I did a project with the University of Calgary for part of my PhD thesis. And when I was talking to my supervisor out there for the department she was in Their stipend was roughly the same, maybe a couple thousand dollars less, but they don't charge their grad students tuition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's That's pretty common. Makes a huge difference. Yeah, Yeah. big difference. And even when you look at the states, that's like a whole other place as well. Oh my gosh. They actually get stipends that are like livable, Mm -hmm. like right? Like you're not living under the poverty line. So yeah, yeah, it depends on where you're going to school, but it's definitely good to think about like how you're going to finance grad school. Like before you get in OSAP, if that's an option um taking out loans um scholarships and then also setting yourself up to maybe make money on the side while mm. you're in grad school yeah um, are all things you should definitely think about before getting there yeah i really love that you mentioned that too um you know finding a way to fund your your education and you know we talked about scholarships a little mm. bit um a lot of people think that the only scholarships that are out there are like public funds there's a lot of scholarships out yeah. there. There mm-hmm. are a lot of, you know, pub- a lot of public funds, obviously. There's l- some private funds also. And then there's everything in between. There's so many random ones. Like, I actually recently um, got a scholarship that was solely for the reason that my grandfather was um, a teacher. Oh. So it's like the Retired Teachers of Ontario um rto ero um organization and they have scholarships for people that are in research so i just like was like oh i guess that i fit the criteria for that i'll just apply yeah um and it turns out i got it so i mean like some of these have way fewer applicants than there are scholarship places Mm -hmm. so just apply like widely and i'm sure that you'll have some success somewhere yeah so the only thing i have to say about that is for me because i'm a mature student a lot of them actually have a cutoff and i 
don't meet that age cutoff. You know, it's just so frustrating because there there is an age cutoff. When you go on the different websites, uh, Queen's, St. Lawrence College, RMC, the Canadian government website, they all have these links and they all have these scholarships. And that's great because, you know, it'll say all these fit you, fit your criteria. But when you open them, you know, I don't. I don't fit that criteria because of my age. And it provides you with a, oh, these are the ones that fit you. And almost all of them I can't because of my age. And I'm not, well, I guess I am that old, but I don't consider myself to be that old. But it says I'm not allowed to apply. I guess I could technically still apply, but, you know, then I would get declined. I don't consider myself to be that old, but I I guess I'm not old. But that for me is one of the hardest parts about coming into this as a mature student is, you know, trying to figure out how to pay for things that, you know, the financial portion of it. Yeah, no, if you don't fit the, like, eligibility criteria um like usually they'll just like toss your application in the trash yeah for me it was also well very different than your experience but I so when I did my master's in Montreal because I was changing provinces OSAP actually gives you less funding so I had about half of the funding when I was in Montreal or even like a third of the funding uh, as compared to what I have now so it makes a big difference. Like your the maximum amount of funding that you can get through OSAP, just as an example, is very different based on the province that you're going in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that's something that people don't necessarily think about. But I mean, you can also, your supervisor that you find, you can also talk to them about funding and ask them what you can expect when you're in grad school, yes. if they can help you out with any mm-hmm. additional funding yeah. as well. So People that are there to help you, so make use yeah. of that for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would definitely follow up with different funding supports because with OSAP, there's also, um, you can only be in repayment for so long before they won't give you any re- any payments, even if you still have available funds that you can grab or terms. So that can also affect you as well, especially as a mature student. Definitely. So many financial things to consider. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lot to be said mm-hmm. about finances. I do think that that potentially an episode for another time <laughs> when we can sit down for a couple hours and just talk <laughs> just about rant. that. Just rant about <laughs> just finances. Just get it all off our chest. <laughs> um, another thing that I guess I found helpful and I think that this is a similar experience to most people getting involved early is really important you know um finding a club finding a committee finding something that you're interested in Mm -hmm. that's not just going to be your program and yeah there's Mm -hmm. more to life than just the research in grad school like there's starting clubs and stuff like that I mean I have experience by starting the podcast, podcast committee so, <laughs> like even if there's not a club there that you want to join start your own uh, yeah. like if yeah. there's any interest you have like there's going to be other people as well that share that interest so mm-hmm. just go for it have some fun outside of research like that's important yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree I personally always wanted to be on a podcast <laughs> I love podcasts and I think I'm pretty funny uh, <laughs> I mean I don't know <laughs> See, at first they wanted to have like a humorous podcast but I guess this is also fine <laughs> we like we like your laugh it uh, helps thank you. you're really a natural at this um, um, but yeah like for me it was kind of a challenge coming into it um, English is not my first language so for me 
coming into this, uh, I knew I wanted to get involved. And I remember, you know, I had an interview at first to kind of determine, you know, what's going to be my goal here? What's my expectation well, for the podcast? Committee? Yeah, oh, you yeah. and I met together, you know, <laughs> right. like over Zoom and we had a little interview together. And I think it just clicked right away. It did. I was like, this girl is funny. She's, yeah. she's <laughs> <such a charm." laughs> And then I, I really enjoyed, you know, we've been doing this together for a year. And uh, personally, I really enjoy it. And I'm really grateful that I got to meet a bunch of people that are all totally. lovely, mostly women in STEM. Mm-hmm. So really yeah, love that. that for us. <laughs> yeah, women in STEM. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, again, another great way to meet people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so many, so many things to get excited for. So many things to keep in mind. Um, there's going to be ups and downs in grad school, and there's going to be so many challenges, but also fun times. So yeah, should we talk a bit about sort of what to expect while we're in grad school? Mm-hmm. I know we've touched on like how to get in, how to prepare. Um, yeah, this is like the final take home. What's yes, going to happen when we what get here now? What is it going to be like <laughs> coming from four <laughs> girls in grad school themselves? In so. completely different labs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I guess first part is a huge part of your grad school experience is going to be your supervisor mm-hmm. and your lab. Mm-hmm. Um so starting there, um, you might feel like something we all know as imposter syndrome, um, which is a very common thing going into grad school. Um, do you guys have any tips on how to overcome imposter syndrome well, or feeling tell like Tell me you? again, like what is imposter syndrome? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good thing to define here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, uh, people use it, I guess, to describe like the feeling that you don't deserve to be where you are mm-hmm. um, or that for some reason um, you're not qualified to be in the position that you're in. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to remember that you are there for a reason. You were chosen to be uh, the grad student in this position. Chosen the cho- one. You are the chosen, chosen one. one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and chances are everyone around you is also feeling imposter yeah. syndrome. So it's very common. It mm-hmm. is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, th- I think it's funny because everyone experiences it. And then I kind of take a step back and I'm like, okay, I'm in a PhD program. I somehow managed to get here to go mm. through the applications and all that. I must have not like, I must have had to do something right yeah. to get here, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I always just say, you know, Oh, it's not that hard. And I always just, discount all this work that I put into it but the other student that was working with us she said you know your project seems so much more complicated and because I have wet lab work and I did clinical so I was working in the lab and I was doing clinical and uh, I was like oh yeah no it's not that bad but then afterwards I was like actually yeah it is like this is a lot of work you know if I didn't have this experience and knowledge, I, I wouldn't be able to put all this effort into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't have that background, you know, to this year, to last month, I was doing a presentation with someone and I was like, oh, I'm a neuroscientist. And then I was like, wait, am I? Yeah. Like, I guess I am. So I remember true. when we were starting <laughs> we this, this podcast, we were like, wait, are we introducing ourselves as neuroscientists <laughs> like that seems like a really big title with yeah, a lot of no, qualifications <laughs> behind it and then we're like wait like that is what we are we are um, <laughs> yeah technically we are I, well technically yeah, yeah that yeah. is so true yeah and I, I do think that 
this is something that's really hard and something that I personally have to remind myself of constantly is take credit for your accomplishments. Mm -hmm. You did this. You got here. Obviously, a lot of people help you along the way. um, But ultimately, it's you in this position. And it's you that got yourself here. I think a lot of the time, too, the more you learn about science and about the brain and life in general the more you realize like what you don't know mm-hmm. which i think also contributes yeah, to imposter syndrome true. um so but it's not always like knowing everything is not like the most important thing it's you know? it's not even possible right no. you can't know everything no so no. take a step back give yourself a pat on the back <laughs> you're doing great and it it is a learning curve you know you're not gonna walk in and have it all figured out like that's kind of the beauty of grad school I think is you get to honestly learn about yourself Mm -hmm. learn about what you like and how you work well with others Mm -hmm. so regardless of what you choose after whether you stay in academia or whatever grad school gives you a lot of tools to get there and it's just you're always learning always 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 you gotta love learning um in grad school yeah And another thing that we didn't really talk about, and this is a little bit controversial, um, external validation. Yeah. Mm. For some people, it is really important, Mm -hmm. you know, get it from your supervisor, get it from your lab mates. You know, it's it, it can be really important to be told you did something great. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like and I think too, like you need to provide that for yourself as well. Yeah. Like it needs to kind of come from within. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like it's something like I'm sure everyone like works on in themselves. Yeah, but absolutely. You have to be able to like pat yourself on the back, tell yourself yeah. you did a good job, because relying on other people, um, solely for gratification, um, you're not going to end up a very happy person. I feel like I, I don't think that you can rely solely on other people, but I I do think that there's a portion of that validation that definitely has to come from yourself Mm -hmm. but it's absolutely normal to want to get it totally from Mm -hmm. people that you quite frankly look up to definitely you know like i look up to my supervisor i look up to my lab mates they're all very intelligent people And, you know, to be told by them, you know, you did great on this presentation. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, that was fuzzies. such a good point. Yeah. The fuzzies so inside? Oof, yeah. Because you know, like, they're guiding you. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, communicating that with them. Mm-hmm. Telling them your, your love language. Yeah, and telling oh, them yeah. how to communicate your love language. My love language is that graph looks really nice. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> that color scheme you use. Oh. <laughs> love it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think definitely keeping open communication with mm-hmm. your supervisor and telling them what you need as a student um, yeah. is definitely something you should do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I do find that so funny that you mentioned that too because I guess maybe I have an atypical kind of relationship with my both of the supervisors that I've been with um, I'm very comfortable with texting them and calling them that's just the way that I'm the most comfortable talking to them because emailing Mm -hmm. quite frankly they'll look at it they'll read a little bit of it maybe they'll answer maybe they won't but if I text them or if I call them Mm -hmm. typically they'll answer and you know I have this mode of communication where they'll call me they'll text me I'll do the same thing but I'm realizing more and more that it's 
maybe not that common because a lot of like people that are around me tell me like, oh, I would never text my supervisor past really? four, five o'clock. And I'm like, he called me at 630 last night <laughs> to ask me what I think about this. Of course, I'm going to do the same. Yeah. yeah, I think that communication style is something you'll establish at the beginning of your grad school experience. Yeah. Like, oh, like, would you like my phone number to reach me? Or like, what mm-hmm. are our, what are your mm-hmm. hours that you're available to be reached? And then just mm-hmm. kind of setting those boundaries early on. Yes, that's important. Too, yeah. establishing those boundaries and saying these are the hours that I'm mm-hmm. available to yeah. you yeah. that is definitely very but important but also keep in mind like grad school as much as they're there to guide you that's what it is, it is guidance they're yes. not doing it for you yeah. it is yeah. you got to be independent your time management skills you don't have to come in having this but mm-hmm. you will learn it and it is you are like the driving horse of your project and then yeah. they're there to refine and guide you along They'll that advise journey. You. They're there to mentor you exactly. and help yeah. you with areas that you're maybe not so strong in, but mm-hmm. ultimately um, take responsibility for your project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that time management, I really like that you mentioned that, you know, because some PIs will say, I want you to be there between nine and five, mm-hmm. but others are just kind of like, no, nah, I just want you to get your work done. Yep. So, what you, do you want? Y- what do you What yeah. do you want to do? You know, do mm-hmm. y- you have to set yourself some deadlines, and you have to make sure that you are getting your <laughs> stuff done. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you don't, it's a waste of your time. Yeah, yeah. You know? there's not really hand holding. No, in grad school, like there are supervisors that are more hands on, hands off. So yeah. you definitely mm-hmm. want to go with one that works with you. Um, but for that day to day and what you're going to expect in grad school, like you're still might have a class that you have to take. You're going to have readings you have to do. You're Mm going to have to actually run your projects in your day to day. And that's what you're going to be expecting. So you got to also expect from yourself to make that schedule, make sure everyone's on the same page and then you're good to go. Mm -hmm. So true. Yeah. Like for me right now, I, I'm the one that has to decide when I go. You know, I have to go gather participants for the study. You know, like, when am I going to look at more information? There is no set thing. I can go on the weekends. I can go during the weekday. Um, I have to decide that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that what makes it so interesting to me. And it's also a little scary. You know, in one aspect, I'm like, I need specifics. I need you to tell me exactly what to do, when to go. And just to, like, make sure that I'm successful. But, you know, this is an experience in its own. It's just really interesting. And, you know, if I just don't show up, I, I don't get the work done. So it can be completely different. You know, it can be a Monday to Friday. It can be variable. You know, as long as you gather the information, you know, you make that call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also work a lot with mice and, you know, we do gene therapy. So we do have to medicate our mice, you know, like frequently and stuff like that. So we actually have someone in the lab 365 days a year. So that means that, you know, on Christmas Day, yep. one of the students is in that lab, you yep. know, every single day of the year, there's someone that's going to be there on weekends. There's someone there. So, you know, like it, it really depends on your project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that that's something that's important to communicate you know at the beginning of it to know a little bit what you're getting yourself into yeah even like in the interview yeah before you even get into the lab you Mm -hmm. should be knowing like these types of things and what you're going to expect and the time Mm -hmm. um, expectations because it's it's so project specific like a project i did in my undergrad it was like i had to be there every day for a month straight and then Mm -hmm. i I would have a couple weeks where i wouldn't have to go in but Mm -hmm. it's like you're giving up that month and research does not stop for Christmas or birthdays or anything. It keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We just worked Mm -hmm. over Easter and that was interesting because there's no one there 
And so you're just like struggling even more. You know, and that's one of the things that you can ask in your interview. I always say some really good questions are, you know, what's the steepest learning curve for me in this position? Uh, What is this position actually going to look like once I'm in it? And, you know, how are you going to measure my performance? How do I know that I'm doing well? Or like, how, how am I completing this research? And how often, you know, what does that look like? Yeah, mm-hmm. I find that really interesting, too, because um, some labs will have, so, like, for example, my lab has um, weekly lab meetings. Mm-hmm. So everyone is giving updates on a weekly basis. But there are other labs where they don't have those meetings. They'll just email their supervisor, like, every once in a while to tell them what they've been up to. But That's they like don't me. actually <laughs> have formal meetings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I am actually the only student in my lab. Oh like, my. it's just me and my supervisor. <laughs> so oh. I'll just, like, be like, hey, like, do you want to meet and, like, catch up on what, <laughs> what's been going on with me? Um, so, yeah, it's lab, like, dependent for sure. Definitely. Wow. There's, like, 18 of us. Yeah. That's <laughs> wild. Wow. Our oh meetings my gosh. are, like, two and a half oh hours. Oh, wow, <laughs> yeah. That makes sense then because then you're all just, you have, like, a time, yeah. you know? Um, and I think another thing that gives a lot of structure to your schedule is taking classes, if mm-hmm. that's, like, a part mm-hmm. of your grad school experience. Um, for me, because I did, like, the accelerated master's, I already did, like, all my courses. Mm-hmm. So during my PhD, I didn't have to take any. Yeah. Um, did you guys have any courses that you had to take? Not during my PhD. Mm-hmm. I didn't do so. I did my master's, uh, obviously in a different university, yeah. and mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised coming in that I didn't have yeah. to do any courses. Some programs do, and some yeah. don't. I think so. Yeah. I guess that's program specific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to take any classes. I I like shouldn't have emphasized the have to I mean (laughs) I didn't take any classes Um, for me TAing classes was something that was really uh, helping me with like keep a schedule right yeah time and yeah yeah and with classes like if that's an option like it's not always like like you said a have to do like it can be like a good opportunity Mm -hmm. um, if you just want to like supplement your knowledge Mm -hmm. um, nurture your interests like classes can be a really nice way to uh, learn more skills that'll be useful for your research project. So yeah. and you are paying for it. You are so paying might as for well it. use it. Might as well, <laughs> you know, learn something yeah. while you're in school. And I mean classes as a grad student too are definitely different than an undergrad. Yes. yes. Not yeah. saying those, you know, those types of classes don't exist, but Grad classes are more seminar style. Like Mm -hmm. you're going, you're listening to discussion. It's really interesting. You might have a final exam or final take home project, but it's much more stimulating about research rather than like memorize this multiple choice scantrons. I don't know about you guys, but I did um, like life sciences here at Queens and it was just purely memorization, multiple choice exams. Um, So yeah, really thankful that grad school isn't like that. I don't know how I memorized so (laughs) proteins in the body in (laughs) one day (laughs) yeah no I do think that graduate courses can really give you an opportunity to learn some some things that are much more specific Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you also don't have to take classes you can audit classes too that's something that you can do don't have to write exams or anything like that just show up and get the learning going yeah so to do that I think you just like reach out to the prof yeah and then ask hey I'm really interested in your topic that you're teaching can I audit your class and then you don't pay for it either right no I mean you're already Uh, a little bit Uh, I think you like I mean it's very program specific or school but 
sometimes you have to pay a little bit mm-hmm. um recently i also watched oppenheimer and i'm like i could audit a physics class right now <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool yeah <laughs> oh that's funny yeah but yeah classes are an option um and i guess with that should we talk a bit about TAing and mm-hmm. what's what that is like mm-hmm. because on the other side of it you'll also get not only um, the opportunity to take classes, but also to teach them or yeah. to be mm-hmm. what we call a t- teaching assistant um, mm-hmm. or short form TA, mm-hmm. um, which is a big part of grad school. I think some schools actually require you they to do. TA. S- uh, um, some do. departments at Queens. Okay. Too, yeah. yeah. Um, did you guys like do any TAing in your yeah. grad school experience? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially with like TAing is a great way to make some extra money on the yes, side. Mm-hmm. for sure. Great way to get teaching experience if you yeah. are thinking about being a prof afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, like some places, even at Queens or wherever, that TA ship money is actually partly building your stipend. Yeah. So that's yeah. why it's required because they're like, you know, we're going to pay you X amount of dollars a year. But that's a, a requirement of that is that you do one or whatever TA mm-hmm. ships. Yeah. So it definitely depends. And there's so many different um, types of courses that you could TA. So I think looking at the topics, obviously ones that maybe you're well-versed in Mm -hmm. or um, are interested in would be a good option. Um, And then reaching out to the prof that teaches it and saying, hey, like, what is what does it entail to TA this class? For example, I've done some that are like team learning based. So you have like a little group of students that you like teach and like lead discussions and um, do all of that. Some are ju- you're just marking assignments. You mm-hmm. get like a rubric mm-hmm. and you mark based off of that. Some of them you don't get a rubric. <laughs> Some it's just up to interpretation. Fun for yourself. Um, yeah. <laughs> another course that I TA'd, I was actually able to be part of the course design for it. Mm-hmm. So That's I was, really nice, yeah. yeah, it was really fun. Um, so being part of that process was also really interesting. Um, so yeah, it can be a good um, source of extra money. Or if you're thinking that you want to be a professor in the future, Um, getting some experience teaching is a really great way to see if that's actually what you want to do and to get some firsthand experience doing it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier before Mm -hmm. we started recording the podcast, of course, um, we TA'd in the same course, Yeah, but our tasks were completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do think that this is very much depends on the prof that you're TAing for and mm-hmm. on, you know, what their preference is at that specific point in time kind of thing. Um, I also had, like, various experiences. I've TAed some online courses. Mm-hmm. I've TAed some mm-hmm. in-person courses that were, like, more lecture-based mm-hmm. and some other ones that were more lab-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, depending on the type of course that you're TAing for your time involvement is going to be very different you know yeah and what I you do is going to be different dependent on that class yeah yeah, yeah absolutely. it is kind of fun though like it is like I have to say quite rewarding to mm-hmm. help s- other students um like learn things and seeing their growth over the semester yeah and knowing that you sort of um explain things to them in a way that really helped them out um or just to help them make their like school experience a bit more enjoyable so I did find that part like really nice yeah Mm -hmm. um there are obviously students that can be harder to deal with yeah um so just being prepared for that I think is also good (laughs) there are also students who are just absolute gems you know like there's I remember there's this one student that I TA'd in one course um 
and, and it was like a lab-based course and then the semester later I was teeing her in another course and she was just you know like we were kind of introducing ourselves or whatever she was giving a presentation and we were introducing ourselves to the the prof and you know she said like oh yeah like she TA'd me in other Aww. courses before and I was like I can't believe you remember me that was so sweet she's gonna it's listen so to this right now and be like oh my gosh I made the podcast <laughs> shout out I to you, who yeah. you are. That. that is so sweet that Aww. you know like you really get to have an interaction mm-hmm. in some courses you get to have mm-hmm like a one-on-one interaction with some students and sometimes actually kind of you know leave your mark kind of thing yeah, yeah it and it's quite rewarding yeah it can be time consuming but for mm-hmm. me personally I actually find it helps with my study life balance yeah because mm-hmm. to me it's like a break from my research then so I can really chunk my day into oh, research yeah. you know I might w- walk the dog or whatever after work but having that little teaching moment helps mm-hmm. me find balance more to be honest Love a little yeah. teaching moment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just have a question. So when I was applying for some TAs, they were all math based. And I was like, yeah, there's no way I can't do math, like not stats like this is too complicated. So I didn't end up taking it. But can you reach out to a professor to TA? Like how does you know, like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I found TA positions through like the specific department. I think Mm -hmm. it was the DBMS at Queens. That's the one I looked Mm -hmm. at. Um, and on their website, they just have, like, a TA um, list of courses that they're allowing TAs to apply for. Um, so I click that, look at the little description and stuff like that. You can then email the prof from there because it'll usually say the prof's name. Um, or you can just fill out, like, an application form, mm-hmm. which was also on the website. So I think just checking out the department's website, mm-hmm. um, worst case, Googling like your school and then TA positions. I um, think that's what I did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or just reach out to someone in that department, like someone yeah. in administration, and they can probably point you towards the right person, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing I will say is usually for applications and things like that, it's quite early on the semester. Like yeah. I yeah. I know specifically for DBMS, like uh, for the fa- uh, this upcoming fall semester, I had to do my application in the spring. Like it was more than four months in advance mm-hmm. yeah. um, that they decide those things or they at least get the applications yeah and then they decide like three weeks before exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Um, and it does vary a lot by university and by department too because in montreal the way that i found them was through like other tas that i knew and i met with profs and they kind of were saying like oh yeah like i am actually looking for a ta whereas here it's all through this like big application yeah. process. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. And um, beyond teaching, being a teaching assistant, there's you can also be um, something known as a research assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another way you can make a bit of money on the side affiliated with your school. Um, I did that for about a year, which actually involved um, running like EEG for a sex research lab, mm-hmm. um, which was really interesting. Um, out completely outside of my department or interests, but I just saw like an advertisement in an email one day and was like, oh, that's so interesting. Why not? I'm going <laughs> to apply for that. I have some neuroimaging experience, so yeah. um, I'm definitely interested in that. And then, yeah, I did that for a year and make a bit of extra money. And um, obviously each position will have different um, time requirements and yeah. all of that, but that can also be a nice route if you're less interested in teaching other students and more interested in just getting... S- some different research experiences yeah and it just helps your cv like yeah. anything yeah. you do after yeah, grad yeah. school any of those experiences even if it's not within your field of research mm-hmm. 
anything, that's going to show, oh, you like tried to broaden your field of research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been cool. Did anybody else do like a research assistantship? No, no, no. I didn't know. They're not super common. No. At yeah, yeah. They're not as common as TAing opportunities for yeah. sure. Yeah. And yeah, there's definitely ways beyond um, within academia to make money while you're in grad school. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys had like part time jobs outside of grad school. Um, obviously it's something you can like talk to your supervisor about. Is that something that's okay with you? Or what do you think like about me having a job outside of grad school as well? So for example, I've, um, served all throughout grad school. So I'll part-time pick up some serving shifts, Mm -hmm. um, which is actually like very lucrative, especially (laughs) if you're in a busy town. Um, I actually like, I'm not TAing anymore just because I make way more from serving than I ever did from TAing. Mm. So um, finding like a way to get some income that works for you is, yeah. yeah. Don't feel like you have to stick to only um, academia based methods of income. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And as long as your supervisor's okay with it, like I have heard of some supervisors saying, no, you know what? I want your sole research focus like yeah. on your research, which fine, like you can hash that and out with them <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah like for like my supervisor is super supportive of all that he understands the stipend mm-hmm. difficulties yeah. and just to clarify for anyone listening stipend is like salary if we say stipend it's basically a salary for the year um so because I my research was involved in clinical trials like I helped out with another clinical trial mm-hmm. as a blind rater which was basically someone that just did like the scales and questionnaires for participants mm-hmm. to just mm-hmm. assess how they're doing yeah but that also paid so there's lots of little things and really it's just like building your network and ask your supervisor yeah. if they know any opportunities as well yeah. yeah with my supervisor she actually said to me you know during this whole process I don't have a lot of money so you're gonna have to work when we're doing this research and are you okay with that and I said yeah yeah I am yeah and like different supervisors they can provide you with higher funding like they oh yeah they can yeah yeah they mm-hmm. can give you a bigger stipend they are allowed to yeah will they <laughs> some of them <laughs> and it's yeah. never too early to dip your toes in like industry as well like on the side um if there's any like jobs um, like you said working for like clinical trials mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I did a bit of like science writing for like a private company um, I did just like freelance so mm-hmm. like a few projects they would just like reach out to me and then I would do a bit of writing for them sort of like when I could mm. um, so there's definitely different so many different um, things you can do to make extra money mm-hmm. um, to supplement your stipend. Fiverr is uh, a really good company for doing that so you just put on whatever your skill base is and then they'll hire you for that. You can even do voiceovers. <laughs> oh, wow. I've got in there. <laughs> I'm going to sign up for that. <laughs> and, you know, like for me, it was different because I actually worked full time. And as a graduate student, you you actually can't work full time. You know, so I had to ask to drop down, you know, and then I, over time, I eventually found out that, you know, technically you can't work full time, but they can't tell you, you can't. So and it's on a person to person basis. Ideally, you know, it's person to person. So you might need to drop down. And I was just doing like a bunch of different work. I was doing some casual work for a bunch of facilities here in Kingston. And I had an opportunity to take a better position at my job. And I didn't want to say no because it's, you know, moving forward in my career as well. And I really enjoy the work that I'm doing when I'm not in school. So, you know, going back working, I have an employer that's very accommodating. And uh, they were able to, like, work around my schedule. So that was great. You know, sometimes that's important, too, is finding work that's going to accommodate you. 
you know, and there are some casual jobs that like, the requirements are one shift every three months or part-time jobs. Serving part-timing is like the best job. Um, income is good. You know, variability in your shifts is good. You know, I'd have shifts that would start 8 or 9 p.m. and I'd finish at like 5 a.m. Wow. Okay, that's kind of wild. <laughs> but I mean, it really worked out because I had the whole day to do research. And Did you not sleep? Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> I'm in a management position at my job. And we do not have enough staff. So I'm just, you know, I'm just always working. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's so true, though, about serving. Like, yeah. I've always found, like, um, in, like, research, like, I'm usually, like, at my computer, like, sitting down, like, writing, using, like, my more, like, logical brain. Um, but then serving, you're, like, walking around, talking to people. You're more social. So mm -hmm. I find that's a really good balance. So yeah. highly recommend if anyone is looking for a part-time job to go for, like, a serving job. And I'm sure it helps with burnout as well. Totally. Like, having that charisma and that joy and that positivity. Yeah. Like, time management is great, but you can still definitely get burnt out from being yeah. doing yeah. too many things. And yeah. I think... As we were talking about, like, you know, TA positions, RA positions, working outside of school, it brings us sort of as we near the end of the episode, like, just the topic of, like, toxic productivity. Mm -hmm. Like, there's mm -hmm. so many things you can be doing. Um, and grind culture is so yeah. big in the media right now. So big. Um, there's so many, like, influencers out there that are like, oh, like, I did this crazy, like, 16-hour, like, study vlog or whatever. Um, and even at a personal level, level, like you hear it in like yourself and your peers, mm -hmm. like, um, kind of like glamorizing, like overworking yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, yeah, obviously like it's no one's fault. Um, it's just kind of the way that research is sometimes, but, um, yeah, I think maybe we should think twice about, think twice <laughs> 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 about like glamorizing it so much, um, just for the effect that that might have on others. Yeah. yeah. I think we're trying the more conferences you go to or people in research you talk to, I think as a whole, we're trying to get away from glamorizing that because yeah. yeah, 20 years ago, it was if you're not spending 60, 70 hours a week on research, if not more, yeah. you are not, not dedicated. You're, you're not, not dedicated. Yeah. You're lazy. You're not doing enough. Yeah. There are still some labs that are like that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think that we are moving away from that mm -hmm. in general. Trying to, at Trying least. to move yeah. away from that. But there are still a lot of labs that are unfortunately like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, y you know, it's just, what about people that have families? Uh -huh. You know, people that have kids? You know, I've heard stories of my friends that they couldn't go to a funeral or they couldn't go see a loved one that was not doing well because mm -hmm. of their research and they lost that opportunity yeah. that they might not get back again. That's so it's so like, what are your priorities and do you have a good support system? Mm -hmm. yeah. And you're allowed as a graduate student, they tell you that you get vacation time, you get time off. So if you get time off, take it. If you're busy, you're busy. I mean, but it says in your contract that you are entitled to at least two weeks of vacation. So take it. Take the time to relax, take a break. And, you know, because if you keep pushing through, you're going to get burnt out. It's the same thing like in any other field or any other place. You know, I took that break, got a little behind, but I just have those open conversations with your graduate supervisor. There are just so many times that I'm like, you know, it's a crazy week at work. I deal with a lot of crisis, a lot. And uh, yeah, and it can be overwhelming. So it's just, you know, this week I'll just put extra work in, make sure I'm caught up. Maybe next week I'll take a bit of a break. 
Yeah, I do think like, yeah, it can be, it's totally normal, obviously, for your like workflow to like um, ebb and change. Um, But I think like it's when you see vloggers or like on social media, people like only show the crazy times Mm -hmm. and they don't show like the times where you just, you know, are on the couch for like half the day because you like spent all your energy like the previous few weeks like doing research. So mm-hmm. Ben and Jerry's um, are your best friend on ben those and Jerry's, days. Yeah, <laughs> it's here to save your day. <laughs> um so yeah, you're totally right, honey, about um like the waves of um intensity in research mm-hmm. and that it's totally okay um to feel like you need some time off and I definitely need to remind myself of that sometimes, too. We all do. We all do. (laughs) And a lot of times I feel like um, it's like type A personalities Mm -hmm. that kind of go into research. Yeah. Um, And that can also contribute to like people pleasing is also very Mm -hmm. common. And um, I think a lot of us um, struggle with that. I know I do. So, yeah, reminding yourself that um, it's okay if you didn't get as much done this week as the last and comparison is really like the thief of joy like Mm -hmm. focus on yourself focus on um your project and try not to compare yourself to others because everyone's in a different spot and when you're not working like if you end your project at 8 p.m or midnight or 5 p.m whatever it is stop checking your email 24 7 i have such a hard time with that i hear the noise (laughs) it's so bad yeah yeah. Like there, I, I now listen, I will preach about having good email etiquette and, you mm-hmm. know, really don't check in on weekends and all that. But uh, there will be mornings I still wake up, my alarm goes off. And if I see I have an email from my supervisor and it's 630 in the morning, you bet I have been checking that. And oh, I'm like, 100%. I'm telling myself, I'm like, you can't tell others not to do that. And then you yeah, do that. But I do. It's tr- hard. It's really true. hard. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. I, I do find that putting like some kind of um, block mm-hmm. on your apps does help with that. So I've started <laughs> doing that because I was like, I cannot keep on checking my email past 10 o'clock at night. I if I want to wake up at six in the morning, there is mm-hmm. no way. Right. Yeah. So like now I have a block that's on yeah. from like nine 30 like six 30 AM so that it's not the first thing that I do in my bed in the morning. Yeah. So. Cause <laughs> then you also like, I feel like I'm always working. My brain is always on, even if I'm mm-hmm. only doing research mm-hmm. and I stop, you know, my research or my study at a certain time when I'm always kind of checking in on my emails, kind of responding my brain is never fully off then. I'm always mm-hmm. kind of in work yeah, mode. Yeah, it's always in the back of your mind. Yeah. So you'll never really um, like rest your mind if mm-hmm. you're always sort of thinking about it. So yeah, having good like mental health practices as well outside of school. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I was going to say, sorry, I was looking at you funny. So, <laughs> so maybe I'm not the only person who has this, but um, I dream about, you know, oh my, like my work sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and like... Just like the amount of times yeah. that I'm just dreaming about my mice doing something, and I'm like, no, <laughs> I cannot be working in my sleep. This is impossible. Yes, you know? maybe that's telling like, you something. Maybe you need. Maybe you're nearing burnout, or you need to yeah. take some time to like, you know, explore maybe I need to other. Stop spending so yeah. much time with mice with and mice? more time yeah. with humans. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, dreaming about pipetting, you know. Oh my god. Forgetting oh. something, forgetting oh. the freezer door open. Or <laughs> Oh, oh yeah those really oh, are the worst yeah. ones they though are. did oh, i yeah. close the freezer door oh no <laughs> yeah. should i, I like go back to the should i go back a. right now <laughs> it's like the equivalent of did i leave my hair straightener on yeah. Or, yeah. yeah am i gonna burn the house down yeah i think that's like really when you're in anxious state you know like 
worrying that something's not done. I think maybe we can end off by talking a bit about like maybe like some nice tips for mental health practices that we mm. all think are like useful um, in grad school. Um, does anybody have any initial thoughts? I'll start and I'll just I'll relate it back to my research with gut health. Mm-hmm. I would say if there's anything you're going to do to better your mental health, at least try to like nourish your body as well. Mm-hmm. Don't get caught up in social media and society standards and anything. Take care of that gut health. Eat the food. Um, Preach. (laughs) You know, eat the food. I know we're in a society where it's just like, you know, almond milk and all these special foods to really make sure you're getting the highest quality nutrients. But at the end of the day, if it's easier to just make some chicken nuggets and throw them in the Mm. toaster so you have more time to go watch your favorite show and actually take care of yourself in self-care do that you know what i mean don't have to listen to anyone else with your food just take care of that your gut health by doing whatever is best for you it's all individual Mm -hmm. individual yeah needs for sure Mm -hmm. yeah i think as well um just having like a good um knowing what practices like make you feel good Mm -hmm. yeah um so for me i noticed like i just feel um lower anxiety when I'm like doing exercise on a regular basis so really making time for that don't tell yourself like oh like I'll go I'll do yoga or I'll go on a run like when I'm done my work like when I like have worked for it you know Mm -hmm. like for the schedule it in like it is a priority to take care of yourself first Um, spend time with your friends with your family Mm -hmm. Um, you don't want to wake up one day and yes you're done your PhD you got it but you like missed all these big life events you missed your friends Mm -hmm. weddings and family events and you don't want to be in that position because isolated yeah Yeah. those connections are like the thing that like truly matters so Mm. Uh, yeah i agree i actually i book like an actual day and i say like i i'm gonna do whatever i want on this day and i try to do it pretty far apart but you know i also allow myself you know if i want to watch a tv show or eat a certain type of food i try not to push that off too much because i want to give myself that opportunity to take that break and also just if, you know, like I wake up and I feel really crappy, you know, and just feeling overwhelmed, I take the day, you know, if it means that I'm starting late, like if I know I have to go to work for four or five and I know that in the morning I should be doing research or working on my thesis, um, sometimes it's okay just to be like, yep, yeah, no, I'm just going to take the day to do whatever I'd like, get up slow um, and get around and do whatever I need to do. But yeah. But I literally book in, at least book in, you know, once a month, like one day for me to do whatever I want. Yeah, I'm really big. I mean, I really like beer. So a friend of mine and I, we have a a little business. It's a beer touring business. And so that's one of the things that I do on those days. We just drive somewhere. And we just go to a d- bunch of different breweries <laughs> almost every other weekend. To be honest, it's really sad. That's, That's sad. amazing. That's a good practice. Yeah. I, I love breweries. I used to manage a couple breweries. I, I learned how to, I started to learn how to be an assistant brewer. You know, it's just interesting to me because it's, you know, I have a chemical background and a lot of it is, you know, looking at the yeast and the sugar breakdown and you can reculture your yeast and reuse it. So yeah, it's a different process. But I just have like this weird obsession that, uh, you know, I've been to like over 500 craft breweries. Um, last year, I went to San Francisco to go to some breweries. 
Um, I went to Vegas in the winter and we just drove around the desert to look at some breweries and that's amazing yeah it sounds like you're like putting time aside to like be present which Mm -hmm. I feel like is a huge thing Um, in grad school like you can get so wrapped up in like deadlines and what's next I need to prepare for this next thing and study for this and that Um, but then like your life's just gonna like go by and you'll you won't remember any of it so yeah yeah take a moment to like realize oh like I'm living in you know the now like let's like um, actually enjoy it and yeah. do the yeah. things that you enjoy doing and I'm a firm believer that like taking that day or taking that time to better yourself you're gonna produce better scientific oh, yeah. results reflect in your work. you know having two days of kind of working at 50 percent is not going to be the same of you taking a whole day for yourself and then you can start full throttle the next yeah. day mm-hmm. you know it reflects in your life totally reflects yeah Mm, yeah for sure yeah I definitely really love that you mentioned that you know being kind to yourself that you're not going to be at your 100% every day and that's okay Mm -hmm. you know like there's just days where you're going to be 100% productive and there's other days where you're not and that's no one's perfect yeah no one's perfect um for me personally uh it's finding things that I enjoy doing so Mm -hmm. I also um, I really like to go to the gym, mm-hmm. so I try to go, I try, I go like <laughs> four to five times a week. Wow, um, good for you. Thank you, I'm working <laughs> on those gains. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, on the days where I'm not going, I still have to find activities that I like to do that I'm going to do consistently. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. personally, I like cooking. I like mm-hmm. baking. Yeah. I'm making bread like Ooh. once or twice a week. Yes. Started making kombucha. Get that bread. Get that bread. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just like, yeah, mm-hmm. just finding things that, you know, you enjoy doing. And because I live alone, um, I also find it very important to take some time with friends. Mm-hmm. So I will schedule in Skype calls or FaceTime calls with my friends that are far away. And, you know, with my friends that I've made here in Kingston, you know, we go out for drinks or we just hang out on the porch and mm-hmm. have some little evenings and that kind of stuff. Have some yeah. game nights. I and love that. Yeah, I find that really helpful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that's a great example of having hobbies outside yeah. of, you know, your work. Like, that's so important. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole life out there. So don't, like, be a hermit. Go is. live it. Don't go be live a your life. Go that live is it. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Live it out. Yeah. Live it out. Shall we? We shall wrap up this episode. Um, so thank you, everyone, for participating in this episode i personally really enjoyed it i had a, I had a blast yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah mm-hmm. definitely yeah and um you know i i hope that you or a listener um have enjoyed this episode as much as i did and as much as we all did and yeah so we hope that you or listeners uh, have enjoyed this episode as much as we did uh, we hope it helps you and inspires you to explore all the amazing opportunities that grad school has to offer and also prepares you for the challenges and um, the journey that's really ahead of you that's coming along with it. And if you have any questions for us that we didn't get into or if you're interested in some topics that maybe we didn't touch up on that much, um, we definitely have a lot more to say, but, um, you know, we're interested in what there's only so much time. But 
if you ever have some ideas, uh, you know, feel free to shoot us an email or a DM. Yeah. Interact with us in a, or in our social media. Cassandra is there for that. Yes. She is <laughs> fantastic with our social media. Come on, guys. Talk to me. I'm, I'm here. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, in the future, we'd love to do some interviews about life after grad school and how to find a job, what kind of jobs are av- available out there and that kind of stuff. Um, so this is something that, I mean, I think we all would personally love to... I would love to know what that's I, I like. I think we would love to know what that's <laughs> like. So that'll be beneficial for everyone. So let, it, let us know if that's something that you guys are interested in. And to finish up this episode, we would like to thank everyone that made it possible and especially our listeners. So the Think Twice audience has grown significantly over this season. And we really enjoyed interacting with you all. If you're new listening to this podcast, you know, welcome here. And if you're one of our regulars, I mean, thank you. (laughs) Make sure to come back again. And as I say, see you next time.